0: This is the Yahoo Finance Podcast. Thank you for listening. Yahoo Finance brought together some of the best minds in business for the All Market Summit held at the Oath Times Square office in New York City and via global live stream. This marquee event explored new challenges presented by the rapidly changing global economy. The following is a live panel from that day. Enjoy.
1: Well, I think we can all agree that 2017 so far has turned out to be quite the year. We have a president who name calls, a congress with an approval rating of just 13%, the heads of Volkswagen, FIFA, and then of course there's Harvey Weinstein. The list of poor leaders unfortunately goes on and on and on. It's Today it seems that we need we're in need of successful leadership all across the globe. And that's why we brought together our two next guests. We have Sally Krawcheck, CEO of Elevest, and Carla Harris, Vice Chairman of Morgan Stanley. Thanks to both of you for joining us. Thank
2: you for having us.
1: So a question for both of you. What constitutes in your minds great successful leadership?
2: You go first? Yeah, no, you. Okay, sure. in, in my mind, it's all around the letters in the word Leader, So powerful, impactful, influential leaders in my mind understand how to leverage other people's talents by creating an environment where the people who are working with them, notice I said with and not for, want to contribute their best ideas. They are engaged, they are efficient, they are clear around communications around what success looks like for the team or for their constituency. They are authentic, because I think that when you bring your authentic self to the table, you inspire and motivate those who are working with you to bring their authentic selves to the table. any of us is in an environment where we can be who we really are, we will always outperform, and that will accrue to the leader in that seat. And then I think the D is about being decisive and about valuing diversity, because you cannot have innovation if you do not start with diverse thought. And then I think the other E is around being engaged. I think it's time out now for my way or the highway type leadership. You have to be collaborative, you have to be inclusive, you have to be engaged to understand what is that thing that will promote outsized productivity. And then finally, you have to be comfortable taking risks, especially in an environment that is dynamic as we are in today. So in my mind, that's what constitutes powerful leadership.
0: I I am so glad I let you answer that question first. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was amazing, you took them for every letter. That was amazing, I was gonna say, don't molest your employees. That was gonna be I mean, my answer,
1: right? So
0: I am super excited, I'll let you go first. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I think that's a great top-line thought, don't molest your employees. Uh, beyond that, however, <laughs> what else do you think Sally constitutes a great leadership?
0: Well, look, we're, we're going through such difficult, challenging, tough times, whether it's in politics, whether it's in business, et cetera. And I think Carla has so brilliantly hit on so many of these important concepts. What really sticks out for me is the confidence and ability to bring together a group who is diverse and different, cognitive diversity, so that you can see these problems in many, many different ways. I think we can all think of leadership teams who look alike, sound alike, act alike, or educated the same way, and they say we got it, right? We got it, we know where we're going, and perhaps didn't think about 13 different things because they didn't have the diversity, the cognitive diversity around the table to bring all the ideas to play. I call that you know, the false comfort of agreement where people who are like each other you know, think and talk like each other, and act like each other, right. and then think they've got it.
1: Like what it's like. Um, I do want to. I do want to pursue the topic of diversity a little bit later in this, our discussion. But uh, first up, how do you tell? Be, how can you tell if leadership is being successful beyond, say, growing revenues and profits?
2: I think one of the ways you can tell is whether or not people enjoy being there and being in that environment. So I think retention is something that people should measure and should look at when they're evaluating a leader in any context. Do people want to stay there and work for that? Now, obviously, there will always be personal reasons that people may leave an organization, but most research shows that people don't leave organizations, they leave a person. So I think that is something that we should spend more time looking at.
0: Well, likewise, are they innovating? You know, revenues and profits today are great, uh, but the market really is looking for the net present value of those future cash flows. And are they able to capture industry shifts and changes? We all know of so many companies that have missed massive changes. And so, a successful leadership team is one that sees markets in different ways, sees new markets, and rushes to capture them, even at the detriment of some of their existing businesses.
1: Now, earlier, Carla, you mentioned, both of you mentioned the idea of diversity of thought, and diversity of thought being obviously so, so important and vital for innovation for a company. That being said, what is the right team? What does the right team look like to you?
0: Well, look, what I would say is I think so many of us, as we're putting together teams today, ask the wrong questions and go for the wrong things and the wrong question is to go to HR, and you've got a, one of your leaders has left or is retiring, or you fired them, et cetera, and you go and you say, I really help me find the, the best person for the job. And you all go out and you look for the best person for the job, and, and I've found, and the research tells us, that the best person for the job is someone who typically looks like yourself. And it's just a cognitive bias that we have, right. that, you know, gosh, when I'm interviewing people, you know, a bottle blonde, Southern Financial Services female executive always looks like the best candidate to me, You know, particularly if she's <laughs> 10 years younger than me. And we see that again and again. Yeah. The right question is can you help me put together the best team? And so when I think about putting together my leadership teams, it's all right, we've got a bunch of white women or white men, maybe we need to add some diversity of skin color. Maybe we need to add diversity of gender, or of education, or of nationality, or of experience, or optimism and pessimism. You know, of background, of ways of thinking. What What type of diversity are we missing to round out the team? The other question that we tend to ask that can lead us in the wrong direction is I want a great cultural fit, right? I want a great fit. And again, that tends to lead us to people who are like the majority. The question I like to ask is I'd like a cultural ad. I want someone who adds to the culture, pushes the culture, makes it different. And a great leader can bring together people of difference and can manage each of them differently. A um, mediocre leader, more lazy leader, will manage everybody the same. And therefore it's just easier to have a bunch of extroverts who have the same background as me because I can just manage them the same as opposed to if I have a whole bunch of people of difference, I need to adjust my style for each and every one of them. the research would tell us this isn't just a nice exercise to go through. That diversity of leadership teams across industries leads to higher returns on equity, lower risk, greater innovation, greater employee engagement, greater client engagement. Diverse teams are so powerful, they outperform smarter teams. I will make a controversial statement.
1: Sure, please. I bring will it.
0: say that it, it appears to be being proven that diversity beats meritocracy that the results of diverse businesses outperform those businesses that claim that they're meritocracies. Because meritocracies, believe it or not, tend to have the least diverse leadership teams and so don't have all those benefits that you get from diversity.
1: A question for both of you, how, does, how do your prospective companies, Ellevest, for example, and Morgan Stanley, how do they enable, you mentioned cultural, you're looking for cultural ad, many tech companies like Amazon, uh, Facebook, they employ a version of the Rooney rule to help encourage um, and manage bias when it comes to hiring, for example. How do you sort of manage that um, when it comes to hiring?
2: Yeah and I wanted to add to and to what Su- uh, Sally said and actually answer your question at the same time the common thread through what she said was intentionality right to to ask the question to be intentional about making sure that you're adding differences and and I think as a firm we're very intentional about that you know the room, the the Rooney rule mm-hmm. is something that I think is sort of um, you know, embedded in our culture. We're making sure that whenever we have open slots, that we're seeing a diverse group of people. And if we're not, somebody's asking the question, is that kind of intentionality that I think can make the difference? And it's that consistency that I think will also give you success around always doing that and, and deploying that as a strategy and as muscle memory, if you will.
0: Yeah, and I'd say at Elevest we're doing the same thing, and then I try to push it one step further because what I found is having founded Elevest, as you might imagine, you can, you, you've got room to build a culture. And when we began to build the Elevest culture, diversity was key and core to it. And then I tell you, and then every slate we had was diverse. And I tell you what we found. We found that even with the statement, which is actually on our wall, we point to it, we live by it, we speak to it, even with the direction to our senior executives, what we found again and again is that people would have diverse slates and they'd come to me and they'd say, and the person I want to hire is a person who looks just like me. And we had one set of circumstance where um, someone in the organization had two candidates, one of whom looked like us, a Caucasian woman, and the other was an individual with a mohawk, a dark complexion, and just in every way was different from us. And my co-founder came to me and said, we had the diverse slate and the team, we're a meritocracy, the team is ready to hire. And I said, who are they gonna hire? And they said, gonna hire the white woman. And I said, talk to me some more. Um, And he said, well, it came out, they know we wanna be diverse, but I tell you, they came out in favor of the white woman. They came out, and I said, well, give me sort of the the proportionality. And he said, it's about 52% for her and 48% for the woman, the, the individual who's quite different. And um, I said, you know what? I think we should hire the individual of difference. And we had a big argument. I began to really physically perspire as we argued because his argument was, we've got to let them make the choice. They know we want to be diverse. They've come out here anyway. If we overrule them and this individual isn't successful, it's not going to be their fault. It's going to be our fault. They're not going to feel like their skin is in the game and so on. And I said, look. From everything I've read, I've been at this a long time, it's 52:48, and this person is so different from us, it's really 30-70, right? Because our cognitive biases are coming into play. And that I have spent my entire career in an industry that claimed to be a meritocracy, that let people manage, and then we're gonna measure them on their results, and the businesses that I worked in ended up being very non-diverse. Oh, and ended up, you know, probably not too coincidentally, Um, being some of the leaders through, or laggards, whatever the right word is, through
1: the financial crisis. And so I overruled. Carla, it looks like you have a reaction or some additional thoughts.
2: Well, one of the things that she said was, the conversation was, if the person is not successful then, right, and I think that we have to be very careful about that because it's that if argument that sometimes will push people in a direction, and you gotta understand that when someone's coming into these organizations, they come in prepared to contribute, and especially they got to the point where they can have a conversation with you, the resume is screaming that they are able to deliver, so you have to be careful about those if, then kind of conversations that may end up having no merit at the end of the day. And then the last thing I'm gonna say about that is that whenever you're bringing somebody in laterally, you have to be really careful that you do not have organ rejection or that you over-index for organ rejection. And here's my analogy. When you are getting a new kidney or a new liver or something like that, they will give you 20 different drugs to make sure that the body holds on to that foreign kidney. Now, the body needs the kidney, but the body's natural reaction is to expel that which is not a part of it. So, when you're bringing somebody into your organization unconsciously, the organization will be programmed to expel Projected. it. So, you have to over index in making sure that you set that person up to be successful because of the natural thing that the body, i.e., the organization, would do. And that's something that I don't think people think about. They bring a lateral person in who's way qualified because, let's face it, we all screen, screen, screen for talent, especially when we're bringing in lateral talent, and then we drop them in. I said, well, they've been successful, they'll be successful. Not, they're a foreign thing in this body. So you need to measure for that.
1: Completely agree. Right? Um, (laughs) You know, this year alone, you know, we mentioned there have been some work culture issues both in technology (laughs) and in entertainment, to say the least. I saw that. To say the least. Um, As a brief refresher, not that anyone necessarily needs it. Uber had issues um, in the workplace around sexual harassment. Harvey Weinstein, enough said. Um, What lessons do you think can be sort of learned from those scenarios?
0: Yeah, I think what's happening is amazing. I think it's really amazing. Um, the strides that we have made over just the last year, um, or just the last few years, that women are using social media and the proliferation of media to speak out against these predators. And what I'm loving seeing is that women are supporting other women in this. Mm. And you only think a few years ago when Ellen Powell um, sued Kleiner Perkins, and everybody did this. And then you think about going through the election of Trump and some of the trauma that some women felt through that, through the calling out of names of Silicon Valley here to Harvey Weinstein and women supporting each other and even a reevaluation of Ellen Powell, that women are using this power to speak out. And I think a little bit of what I'm hearing from professional women is there was this sense of, gosh, we've got such great momentum. I mean, if you go back just a year ago, you know, we're we're moving forward, the gender pay gap is closing, the, board gender gap is closing, we're leaning in, we're gonna have a female president, I mean, this stuff is happening now. And then it came to a screeching halt, and by the way, in terms of when the gender pay gap is gonna close, it's like more than 100 years from now. And the gender board gap is decades from now, and the gender pay gap, depending on which country you're in, you might have noticed we don't have a female president. And in fact, the number of female CEOs is declining right now, indeed, more Americans believe that we will see time travel in our lifetime, than that we will see an equal number of male and female CEOs in the Fortune 500. And so it's interesting because amongst professional women there was a sense of, ugh. And then everybody marched and that was amazing. And then now what? Where's our Gloria Steinem? What are we supposed to do? And what's actually happening is women are coming up from the grassroots and calling out these predators and harassers and I think it's a direct reaction to what has this sense of we've lost momentum. It really is an amazing, amazing thing to watch.
1: Carla, you know, given what's going on this year both in tech and <laughs> across many, many industries. Uh, what do you think a good leader has to do, particularly this year? And do you think we are at a tipping point, particularly for women in the workplace?
2: Yeah, I, I do think, again, and I'll underscore what I said earlier, that a leader has to engage. You have to engage with your people to understand you know, how they're feeling, what challenges they want, what else can you do as a leader, as an organization to support <laughs> them and promote you know, outsized productivity. I just think it's more important than ever to engage. As I said, 40 years ago, you could be a mile Of a highway type leader. I do not think that you survive in the leadership seat very long if you are that type, that prototype today. I think you have to be inclusive, you have to solicit people's voices, you have to be collaborative, you have to make sure that you give the public at a boy, at a girl, especially with millennials and, and the younger Xers, which is a part, I think, of their. Um, you know, of their overall uh, reward system. It's not just about the money, it's also about the recognition um, and making sure that they're a part of the solutions. So I think it's a different type of leadership style.
1: Great. Well, my thanks to Carla Harris from Morgan Stanley, Sally Krawcheck from LVS. Thanks to both of you.
0: Thank you again for listening to the Yahoo Finance Podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts.